Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome to Bald Head Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. Featuring the exposit story preaching of Dr. John Katzian. Baldhead Bible Podcast is committed to keeping our show free to the public. However, as with everything, there are expenses involved, so if you would like to contribute, head on over to patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash baldhead Bible. And there you can become a supporting member for as low as $1 a month. While there, please check out some of the bonus material available only to our BHBP supporters. And some of that material includes Bible study guides to help you use the podcast to minister to your children, to minister in a Sunday school class, and to have some quality family devotions. So the battle was great that day, led by Jonathan and his armor-bearer, two men who put their faith in Yahweh more than their circumstances, and who said, you know what, God can save by many or by few. And God chose to save by few, and so here they set the Philistines in rout, and then Saul, lacking faith, of course, in his army, decided to join in the battle. And then they got the faithless Jews who had run away and hid. And they got them to come back and join them because they'd seen the victory was going in the way of their land and their people. And it seems a little wimpy to me. But they did join in and Saul and Jonathan merged forces again. And it says in the Bible that they charged and they pressed hard against the Philistines. Now remember, there might have been maybe 600, so now maybe up to 1,000, 1,500 Jewish soldiers. But remember, on the other side, they numbered as high as the sand on the seashore. Some people think as high as 100,000 soldiers. Some people think as low as maybe 30,000. But still, the number was great and Saul and Jonathan pressed hard to wipe out the Philistine army as much as they could. And it says in the Bible that they pushed them all the way inward, all the way westward, and chased them all the way to Hijalon in Israel. Well, I've never fought a battle, but all I know is this. It looks exhausting, especially hand-to-hand combat. Can you imagine swinging a huge sword and fighting with your fists and then a spear? I mean, you're basically wrestling nonstop for the next eight plus hours. Well, it says because of this, the men who were fighting were exhausted. And Jonathan climbed a craggy cliff, killed 20 of the Philistines in a battle with his armor bearer. And in particular, he's exhausted. Well, you know what's good when you're exhausted? Food 
to give you some energy and strength? Well, remember, we're learning that Saul, King Saul, is not really showing up to be that good of a leader. And here we see another example of how Saul, in the middle of this battle, makes a huge mistake, all based on his own rash impulses. He yells out that nobody in his army is allowed to eat until he has his vengeance upon the Philistines. Now right there you have a problem, right? Until he has his vengeance. I mean, he's not fighting for God. He's not fighting for Yahweh. He wants to do his own thing and he wants to enact his revenge. And then secondly, he gives this rash vow, you can't eat a thing. Nobody can eat anything until he has enacted his revenge upon the Philistines. That is an incredibly rash vow. So he's saying you can't eat? Cursed be the man who eats food until it is evening. He wants them to just be fighting and fighting and fighting, but... You know, uh, as the famous phrase go, an army marches on its stomach. Men can't fight if they're starving. Well, he makes this vow, and the army doesn't want to be killed by Saul. So they don't eat anything, and they don't eat anything at all as they fight the Philistines. Well, when Saul made this rash vow, Jonathan wasn't in his presence. Jonathan didn't hear it. Well, they fought the Philistines all the way to a forest. And as they were coming through the forest, they saw huh, beautiful drops of honey all over the ground. See, back then they didn't have beehives or they collected bees. No, no. In Israel, in particular during this time, honey would occur in the wild. And quite often you would see it on the ground having fallen from a hive. Then you'd pick it up and it might be like a honey comb where you could, you know, suck on the comb and suck the honey in and get all that sugar, and all that energy replenished. I mean, it was God's gift in the middle of this battle. Take some of this honey Oh, it tastes so good. You now have energy to fight. But the men couldn't eat any of it. Can you imagine? It'd be like going into a candy store and you can't eat any of the candy and it's all free. You can take anything you want, but somebody said you can't eat that candy. Or maybe you're going into a big steak store full of lots of steak and you're like, oh, you can have any steak you want. Oh, I can't eat it. I can't. I'll get in trouble. You know that feeling in here? All these men want to eat the honey so bad, but they can't for fear of Saul's curse. Well, Jonathan was with him, and he didn't hear any of it. And he sticks his spear into some of it and um, eats the honeycomb, the honey. Oh, and it says his eyes are bright. His eyes light up. He has energy again to fight. And the men around him say, Jonathan, you can't do that. Your dad has commanded us strictly not to eat. You can't do that. Jonathan essentially says, well, that was a dumb rule. 
Why would you do that? Man, if if you could eat, you could fight so much better. and We could kill even more Philistines because we really haven't dented them that much. They're mainly running out of fear of Yahweh and fear of themselves. And man, if if you could eat, we could kill even more. And it says that with the little energy they had, they pushed the Philistines far west and they fought them hard and 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 they struck them all the way like it says from Micmash to Aijalon but at the end of the day the fighting men it says are very faint they're exhausted all except Jonathan who I'm sure he said well if I'm in trouble I might as well just jump right in and he was probably eating as much honey as he could Well, the people were so hungry that they began to sin. See, once they'd pushed the Philistines out, they had what is called their spoil. Their jewelry that's worth money, and in particular for hungry men, they had their cattle. And it says they pounced. I mean, literally, that's the word. They pounced on the spoil. That's how hungry they were. And they killed the sheep and the goat and the oxen because they want to eat the meat. And they're so hungry, they're starting to eat raw meat because that's how starving they are. And the Bible is clear that you should not eat meat that still had blood in it. You know how you can have your steak rare with a little bloody and then medium rare and then medium and then well done and well done. It's cooked completely where all the blood's gone out. Well, that's the only way a good Jew can have a steak, right? Some people like their steak really rare, but this broke an Old Testament law. You couldn't eat meat with any blood in it. Now, God had specific reasons back then why he chose to do that. And I know friends of mine who still won't eat meat with any blood in it because of that. They think it has some nutritional benefits and even some theological reasons. But overall, for the Jewish people, the big thing was, we can't do this because this breaks God's law. This is a sin against God. But they are so hungry. Why? Because they hadn't eaten. Why? Because of Saul's dumb, rash vow. Well, somebody went and told on him. And probably rightly so, because this person wanted to see his people and his friends stop sinning before the Lord, and he knew they were in big trouble. So they, he runs the Saul and says, Your people, they're eating meat with blood in it. And Saul looks around and What in the world? And so it says they roll a big stone over. And essentially, Saul builds an altar to Yahweh for the first time. This is the first altar that he built. And he says, all right, stop. Stop eating the food. I can imagine Frank's over there eating sheep, good lamb lamb meat sauce. desperate food after such a long, frightening battle. And then Saul says, stop. Frank looks up. I want you to bring your animals here and we will sacrifice them before the Lord. 
Don't sin against the Lord by eating with the blood. Now that's smart, Saul. You did a smart move here by helping your people to stop sinning. And so he got his people to go amongst all the men saying, Stop! And bring your food over to the altar. Stop! You're sinning against the Lord by eating this meat with blood in it. Bring it over to the altar. And it says they brought it over to the altar, and that night they slaughtered them before the Lord. And Saul essentially turned this into a moment where they're going to worship Yahweh in repentance for eating the meat with the blood in it. And also as a way to start cooking the meat, to gather the men around, to take their hysteria and their insanity and calm them down. And they probably began to cook the meat there so they could eat of it properly. Smart move, Saul. Well done. And that's the thing about Saul, right? He did some great things, and then he does stupid things. He did some great things, and then he did some stupid things. Ultimately, the big problem with Saul is he didn't have a heart after God. He didn't have a heart after Yahweh. Because, yes, he did something smart here, but then he follows it up with something incredibly stupid. It's dark. It's nighttime. But Saul wants to avenge himself against the Philistines. Now the people are all freshly minted and fed, and they're ready to go. Now the men are ready to fight. And so he cries out, Let's go after the Philistines tonight and plunder them until the morning light. Let's do it. And then the high priest says, Wait. Let us draw near to God first. In other words, let's ask God first if this is what we should do. <sighs> Saul's probably thinking, I can't believe i got to do this. It's the right thing to do. Why do I even have to ask God? I will say, remember, before every major decision, like leading your men into battle, you should ask God. But that's a side note. So Saul, again, comes back. All right, you know, we should do this. And so he inquires of the Lord. Lord, shall I go down after the Philistines? Will you give them into the hand of Israel? And he asks Yahweh. Nothing. Yahweh, oh, great Yahweh. Maybe he tries a new way. Oh, great and majestic Yahweh who reigns above. Will you let us go down to the Philistines and will you give them into our hand? Nothing. Nothing at all. And Saul's like, you know what? I think there's sin amongst the people. See, and there was, right? Because Saul had made this vow before Yahweh. And Yahweh takes these vows seriously that if anybody eats food while they're fighting during the day, before the evening is done, they've sinned and they're going to be killed and they should not do that. But one person had, right? And that was Jonathan. Well, Saul is angry and he says, there's sin in the camp. There's sin in the camp. As the Lord lives who saves Israel, though it be Jonathan my son, he shall surely die, whoever is causing this sin. Now, why he threw in his son Jonathan? I wonder if he suspected him. 
Or maybe he was trying to put him down in the eyes of the men who you, he could clearly tell love Jonathan. Or maybe he was just trying to say, this is how important this vow is, even if it's my own son, which I know it's not. Hey, he shall surely die. And so he asked the men, who, is there sin amongst the camp? Is there sin amongst the people? And even if it is Jonathan, whoever is sinning is going to die. Well, the army, they kept quiet. They knew what Jonathan had done, but they loved Jonathan. I mean, Jonathan was the one who showed faith and climbed the craggy cliff and had lived by faith and fought hard. He, he was their hero. They weren't going to give him up. And then he says, all right, all right, right. All the army of Israel, you're on one side, and me and Jonathan will be on this other side. Again, I think he's suspicious the sin lies with his own son. He says, all right, we're going to put everybody on one side. Maybe there was a line down in the middle. And, and then there is going to be me and Jonathan on the other side. And then we're going to consult. We're going to cast the lots using the... the then we're going to cast lots using the Urim and the Thummim. And he says, oh, God of Israel... If the guilt is on me and my son, Jonathan, give us the Urim. But if the guilt is in your people, please give the Thummim. The Urim and the Thummim. Now, what in the world is that? Well, the Urim and the Thummim are Hebrew words, which we haven't translated into English because we don't really know what they mean. They basically mean light and perfection. Some people think it means perfect light. And it was part of the high priest's breastplate that he put on. And on this breastplate, there were beautiful encrusted jewels. And part of it was the Urim and the Thummim. So they were small enough to be placed on the breastplate. And they were probably objects that were kept in a bag. And the priest would use these things to try to divine or understand the will of God. We don't know what they looked like. We haven't even translated the words because they're really confusing what it is. And after the time of David, they're not ever really used again. But in the early priesthood, if you wanted a yes or a no or a uncertain, you would use the Urim and the Thummim. Many people believe that the Urim represented yes, the Thummim represented no. Some people think they might have been coins. Some people think they might have been dice. We have no clue what these objects were. But some people believe that if you rolled them and you got two Urim, that meant yes. If you rolled it, you got two Thummim, that meant no. If you rolled them and you got one yes and one no, then, hey, the will of the Lord isn't clear. We have to wait. That's what some people think. Other people think it was dice. And other people think it had nothing to do with casting lots at all. Remember, it's lights and perfection. And some people think God gave his divine will through light coming out of these objects. 
Maybe the light had a specific way and pointed at a specific person or the light coming out of these objects spelled out certain things. And there's certain ways that Urim and Thummim are spelt in the Hebrew language. Some people think one of the letters in Urim is is Aleph, which is the first letter of the alphabet. And one of the letters in Thummim is the last letter of the alphabet. And so some people think these objects would spell out certain words or parts of words that the high priest could then understand what the Lord wanted and would give specific names. These are interesting and mysterious objects that I'd love to learn more about, but we're pretty unclear what they are. But we do know this, that the high priest used them to try to decide what the will of God is. And here specifically, Saul says, If this guilt is in me and my son Jonathan, please give me the Urim. But if this is in your people, Israel, give the Thummim. I mean, he's asking for specific direction. So if we're right and the priest has two coins, he throws it out and boom, two Urim. The sin is with Jonathan and Saul. And then Saul says, cast the lot between me and my son. Now, it doesn't say which one he asked for, but he says, I want to see if the guilt lies with me or with Jonathan. And it literally says there, cast the lot. So this might imply that this Urim and this Thummim are more like dice that you would cast or stones of different colors or, or like I said, with, with different sides with Urim and Thummim so you'd know exactly what God wanted. Well, he cast the lot. And he probably set it up. If it's yes, then it's me. If it's no, then it's Jonathan. Or yes, it's Jonathan. No, it's me. Either way, when the priest cast the lot, the sin fell on Jonathan. And Jonathan, he knew what he had done. But Jonathan is a smart, faithful man. And He'll follow Yahweh, and he hadn't heard the command. He didn't break anything because he didn't even know he wasn't supposed to break it. And Saul asked him, what have you done? Now remember, this is the guy who sacrificed sacrificed an oxen to the Lord when he had no right to do it. This is the same man who made a rash vow, which he had no right to make. And here... He's acting so self-righteous. Jonathan, what have you done? And Jonathan basically says, I ate some honey. I was starving. And he says, I will die if I don't eat this honey. And so he eats it. But notice Jonathan's response. He admits it. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't try to rationalize it. When he was caught in a sin, he just says, this is what I did. And then notice what he says. Here I am. I will die. Wow. Even though it was unfair, even though it wasn't right, he says, I failed, I sinned, I'll take the punishment. I'm not going to rationalize this away. If, if, If I failed here, give me my punishment. I deserve it. I need to remember that whenever I'm pulled over by the police. Instead of trying to rationalize, hey, well, I was speeding because everybody else was, or I didn't see the mileage sign, or I didn't know what speed it was. and 
you know, instead of arguing with the police officer, just take the penalty and realize you broke the law and take the punishment with your parents. When you broke something, and in our case, we know we break those laws. We know we fail our parents. Instead of stomping our feet and blaming other people, it's not fair, I can't believe it. Just admit, hey, Dad, I'm sorry. You're right. I was wrong. And then take the punishment. Well, and can you imagine in Jonathan's case? It's not just a slap on the wrist. It's not just a fine. He's going to die. And he says, here I am. I will die. Again, I think this demonstrates the great faith that Jonathan had. He trusted in Yahweh more than his father. He trusted in his ways and said, you know what? If if this is the case, then I'm going to trust Yahweh to work this out. And if I have to die, I have to die. Well, I don't know what Saul was thinking. I don't know if Saul started to draw his sword to execute his son. But the army and the men of Israel would have nothing to do with it. I mean, Saul says, you shall surely die, Jonathan. I mean, he's going to kill his own son. How smart a man is this? He makes the rash vow, which catches his son in a sin. And now his sin son has to pay the penalty for his rash vow. And Saul says, all right, you shall surely die. I mean, this is a person who is not thinking rashly. Well, the men of Israel, they rush to his defense. And they say, shall Jonathan die, who has worked this great salvation in Israel? They gave the credit of this great victory not to Saul, but to Jonathan. They knew who climbed that craggy cliff. They knew who was the genius behind this. They say, far from it. There shall not one hair of his head fall to the ground, for he has worked with God this day. I think that's interesting. The people saw the faith of Jonathan. And they realized the rash vow of Saul that caused Jonathan to sin. And they're saying, Jonathan worked with God. You sat around and did nothing, Saul, and you're going to kill him. And it says, the men of Israel ransomed Jonathan that day. Now, I don't know if they literally gave spoils to Saul. Here, take the jewelry I got in the raid. Take this food that I got in the raid. And if they had to actually give up things to ransom him. Now, there are stipulations in Deuteronomy and some of those uh, books of the law where you can actually pay a ransom rather than get the full punishment of death. You can pay a ransom to get that person out of it. And maybe they did that. Or maybe they just crowded around him and stuck their chests out and put Jonathan in the middle of all of them and said, you know what? You kill him. You got to go through me first. The men of Israel ransomed Jonathan that day. They weren't going to make him pay for the stupidity of his father. Well, the men of Israel, they quit pursuing the Philistines that day. The Philistines kept running and they ran all the way home. 
Well, it's interesting that at the end of this battle, all the glory goes to God because he took a little band of 600 men and he chased up to 100,000 troops right out the door. Yahweh fought for them. Yahweh thundered from heaven. And the faith of Jonathan made all the difference. Well, the rest of this chapter 14 basically says Saul... Again, he would do good, then he'd do bad. Then he'd do good, then he'd do bad. Then he'd do good, then he'd do bad. And the rest of chapter 14 has Saul doing good. And how he fought against his enemies on all sides. And it lists some of the enemies that Saul fought against, leading the people of Israel in the battle. They fought against the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the kings of Zobah, and of course against his biggest foe, the Philistines, and it says he routed them all. And he also struck the Amalekites and routed them as well. And he delivered Israel out of all these tribes who were trying to plunder them on the border when do raids in and cause havoc. King Saul was victorious in freeing the people from the threat of these tribes. Hey, well done! But it's interesting, the, the last verse of the chapter, I think, sort of ends on a negative note. It says in verse 52, And when Saul saw any strong man or any valiant man, he attached him to himself. Now remember, when God said at the beginning, You want a king? I should be your king. Yahweh, I am your king. But if you want a human king, I will give you a human king. But just so you know, human king's going to tax you. Human king's going to have you go into battle for him. And one of the things he says is a human king is going to take your children, going to take your strong men. And here's Saul is doing exactly that. If you're a good fighter, if you're a valiant man, in other words, if you're if you're strong and valiant and you show yourself particularly good in battle, you're going to get hauled away from the family farm where they need you and you're going to be placed into the army and fight for Saul. And now I've got to make up for that at home. But ultimately, this story is about faith, isn't it? This battle is about faith. It's about the faith of Jonathan, who can climb craggy cliffs, fight off 20 men with the sword. And when he's caught sinning in something he didn't even know he was sinning in, he stands up and takes the, the brunt of what he's supposed to take. But he trusts and puts his faith in Yahweh. Because he knows he's going to take care of him. I mean, he has promises from Scripture, right? That Yahweh is his God. Why wouldn't he trust him? Then also the stories about the stupidity and sinfulness of King Saul. And what Saul is about to do next shows how far his heart is from God. 
Make sure to join us next week because we're going to learn a lot of how not to do things from this King Saul. Thank you for listening to Baldhead Bible Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. You can comment on our Facebook page or email us at baldheadbible at gmail.com. If you would like to support this podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash baldheadbible. Baldhead Bible Podcast, making the Bible come to life. New episodes added every week. Thank you.